This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you are listening to episode 18 of the Catholic Foodie. Be prepared. Be prepared. You know, uh, preparation is so important in life, and it's important in the kitchen, too. Uh, I have learned that lesson a few times uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, you have to be prepared in the kitchen, otherwise... Uh, bad things can happen. So I'm going to share a few stories with you about that today, Uh, particularly my crock-pot catastrophe story. Uh, We're also going to talk about sacramental preparation, which I think is very uh, appropriate. My oldest daughter, Annabelle, just made her first communion, and she spent one year in preparation to receive that sacrament. Now, you have You have a period of preparation for all the sacraments, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at that today. Uh, We also have quite a bit of feedback, actually. We got feedback from the Facebook page and also uh, on the blog that I'm going to share with you. And in addition to the feedback, I've got a couple of recipes. One of them will be a crockpot recipe, and I also want to share with you a special salad dressing uh, and and a variation of it that I came across as well. And uh, finally, I think, I hope, I get to share with you my review of the Mac application sous chef. So we have all this on the menu and more at The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. Well, as I just mentioned, my uh, daughter Annabelle made her first communion just a few days ago. And, you know, it's... It's amazing sometimes how we, we kind of overlook the whole preparation aspect. And all the sacraments demand a period of preparation. I mean, baptism, the child, usually, I mean, if you're baptized as, as an infant, you don't have to prepare for anything. You can't. You're an infant. But your parents do, right? The parents have to go to uh, like a baptismal class or... Uh, have some sort of an interview, uh, something, some form of uh, preparation for the sacrament. And what's interesting to note with baptism is the fact that, you know, there's something that's uh, amazing that happens to the child, the person being baptized. Uh, There's an indelible mark placed upon their soul. They are claimed for Christ. And and original sin is washed away uh, and they become part of the family of God. That's awesome. But do you realize that the parents at baptism also promise God and the church, right? God and the church to bring up their children in the practice of the faith. That's an exact quote, right? To bring up their children in the practice of the faith. What does that mean? It means a lot. Right? There's, there's a lot that goes into that. There, there's more than just going to Mass on Sunday. Uh, it, it's the fact that, you know, when you practice the faith, it, it, it's not reserved just for Sunday Mass. You know, there's also prayer. You know, some of the early church fathers said that without prayer, there is no salvation. And so prayer in the family, prayer in the home is vital to practicing our faith. Without prayer, there is no salvation. And without prayer, private prayer, our public prayer, which is Mass on Sunday, or daily Mass, if you're able to to make it, 
doesn't have the same value, at least for yourself, as it would if you were praying privately. So we parents promise to bring up our children in the practice of the faith. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. It's huge, as a matter of fact. Uh, the church would not want us to make promises that we can't keep. And, you know, I'm, I'm the director of the confirmation program in my parish. I've done uh, sacramental preparation and youth ministry for years, and I tell my kids over and over and over again, don't lie. Don't lie to God and to the church. And so the question is, in preparation, is are you ready? That's what the church is wondering. Are you ready? And if not, how can we get you ready? So with baptism, the church is very cautious. Uh, you would think, and, and, and I know I have had this, uh, this idea, this thought in the past, that you, know, you want to go out and baptize everybody. And, and that actually happened in the early church. You know, you know when, when Constantine became uh, Catholic, uh, what happened? Everybody was baptized. Uh, Catholicism became the official religion of the empire. And as a result, well, of course, everybody wanted to be the same religion as their, their leader, right? As the emperor. Constantine became Catholic, so guess what? Everybody else wanted to become Catholic. And there was a massive, a massive influx of new Christians, which completely uh, interrupted, and in some cases, I guess, destroyed the model of Christian initiation which had been in place up to that point, right? Which our, our RCIA program is, is based on that. A three-year period of preparation in which, you know, candidates learn about the church and the faith, and also the church learns about the candidate. And, and these candidates are prepared. They understand what they're undertaking and what it means, and, and, and they're prepared, right? Uh, well, the same thing. You know, you have this influx of people, these in, this influx of new Christians, so many, like thousands upon thousands of new baptisms and new Christians taking place in the empire because the emperor is now Catholic. So what do you do with this when all of a sudden you have a religion that has been persecuted for a long time, right? For generations, this, this religion is persecuted, and all of a sudden it becomes legal, not only legal, but it becomes the state religion. How does that affect Christians? How does it affect Catholics? Uh, so there was a, a real struggle at that point in the faith. And uh, matter of fact, you know, the monasticism came out of that. Monasticism came out of that, uh, that problem, the problem of too many Christians who did not understand what they were doing and why they were Christian, and therefore they weren't really living the Christian life. And monasticism was a desire for individuals to really live the Gospels. And so you had all these hermits who went out into the desert, and shortly thereafter, they, uh, they attracted followers. And these followers were you know, recognized their holiness and the, the newness of life that these people lived, these men lived, because they were men at the time, and they, they wanted to follow them and learn from them, and thus began uh, in seed form 
uh, monasticism, which uh, exists even today. So preparation is extremely important. Uh, And the church wants to know, are you ready? And so you have a baptismal conference or a seminar or a workshop. I think our parish calls it a seminar uh, where parents come together to be prepared for baptism and what it means. And, you know, if, if a priest learns that uh, a particular couple uh, is not practicing the faith, that they are not going to Mass regularly, they're not really fulfilling their role as, as Catholics, it's, it's possible for that priest to withhold baptism and invite that couple to really live the faith, and in doing so, and to show him that they are doing so, that he would then baptize the child. Uh, Now, you know, you don't want to think about withholding baptism from anybody, but at the same time, if you you look back in the Gospels, what does Jesus say about the pearls of the the pearls? I want to say the pearl of great price, but that's something different. He says, don't throw your pearls before swine. And in the church... What are the most valuable pearls that we have? It's the sacraments, right? The sacraments are the most valuable uh, pearls that we have because they were given to us, they were instituted and given to the church by Jesus himself. And so the church is cautious. The church is cautious. So you want to make sure that the parents are prepared, the parents uh, understand what they are undertaking, that they understand the promise that they are making to God and to the church, when they stand there uh, for their child's baptism. Now, you know, in the beginning of the church, in the early church, uh, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist were given all at the same time. They were the three sacraments of of initiation. Matter of fact, the right order of the sacraments is baptism, of course, because you're made a member of the family of God at that point. You're washed uh, washed or cleansed of original sin. And then you had confirmation right after that, which uh, kind of points back to the apostles. Uh, in, in Acts of the Apostles, if you remember, there were uh, some Christians who had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they had not yet received the sacraments. Uh, I'm sorry, had not re- received the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples called upon the apostles to come and lay hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So confirmation, you, we can see, kind of uh, comes out of that, right? That the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, but something special happens in confirmation where you are sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you are marked. Once again, it's a sacrament that creates an indelible mark on the soul of the recipient, that you belong to Christ, you belong to the Holy Spirit. So those were the two sacraments that came first, right? Baptism, confirmation, and then Eucharist. Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. It's the high point. Nobody was admitted to the, uh, to the Eucharist unless they had been properly initiated. And so, you know, that's not how we have it today. And I have to confess, I'm a liturgical purist that in, in, in my heart of hearts, I believe that we should go back to the way that it was in the early church. Uh, that, that's uh, my personal opinion. However, as an obedient son of the church, 
I acknowledge the decision of the Church, and particularly of the, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, um, in their decision to separate and to change the order of the sacraments of initiation. So we have baptism, of course, if, and for Catholics who were born of Catholics, right, then typically have baptism as an infant. You wind up making your first reconciliation and first communion sometime around seven years old, seven or eight. And then confirmation, you know, confirmation, when I was confirmed, I was 13, I was in eighth grade. They have moved the date back, the time back, and it's actually still in a process not every diocese in the U.S. has has done this yet, but the date is being moved back to 16 years old. So at 16 years old, or at least you have to be 16 or older to be confirmed in the United States. That's, once again, still in process, but that's the general trend. Uh, so they have not only changed the order of the sacraments of initiation, which in my mind makes absolutely no sense, uh, if, if, the, if the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, then wouldn't it make sense to, to have both um, baptism and confirmation first? I, I think so. Uh, the way we have it now, it's like bat, uh, confirmation is almost like the high point. And it's like a carrot that, that you hold in front of the donkey to keep that donkey going to religious education until they're 16. So, you know, in my own mind, now once again, this is just me talking, in my own mind, I think that we should keep the order, the original order intact, uh, because it was there for a reason, I guess. That's, that's my point. Now, for pastoral reasons, for pastoral reasons, the U.S. bishops have changed the order and changed the ages of the reception of these sacraments. And I completely understand I completely understand why the church in the United States wants young people to receive the sacrament of confirmation at the age of 16. I understand that. And it's important that I understand that since I run the confirmation program in my parish, right? (laughs) And we have, typically every year, we have about 90 or so candidates who receive the sacrament of confirmation in our parish. So it's a pretty big parish. But anyway, you see this whole process of preparation, right? Uh, The same thing happens, if you think about it, same thing happens with confirmation. It's interesting the way this is worded. You have to have basically three years of religious education prior to confirmation. And that would involve basically like ninth and 10th grade, we call it PSR, Parish School of Religion. I guess it would equate also to CCD. And if you are in a Catholic high school, and you already have religion classes, then that, that exempts you from having to go to the classes in the parish. So you have, but basically you have religious education, religious instruction for three years prior to confirmation. But in the 10th grade for us, in the 10th grade, sophomore year, uh, midway through the sophomore year, they begin what we call immediate preparation for the sacrament of confirmation, which means that they go to class with us and they have retreats and all that, uh, for about nine months prior to actually receiving the sacrament of confirmation, nine or ten months. Uh, so you see there is a period of preparation there. Uh, once again, a period of preparation for uh, marriage. Uh, you have to notify your uh, pastor at least six months in advance of, uh, of your wedding date, and you go through 
some form of marriage preparation with uh, the pastor or with another uh, a couple, a couple who has been trained to help young couples uh, prepare for marriage. Uh, holy orders, uh, holy orders. Once again, a priest is he, <laughs> a priest prepares for a long time, or I should say, a man prepares for a very long time before becoming a priest. I was in the seminary twice. I don't remember if I told you that story, uh, but two different uh, times in two different seminaries. Uh, spent about a total of four years in the seminary. And for me, it would have taken uh, eight years total uh, to become a priest. Uh, so there's a lot of preparation that goes into, into that. And in addition to just schoolwork, you have uh, ministerial experience that you go through, pastoral training that you go through, uh, discernment, uh, a discernment process you go through where you meet with a spiritual director uh, who helps you to discern whether or not the church is calling you uh, to become a priest. Um, and then finally, even before ordination, you two things happen. First of all, you're ordained to the diaconate, which is a temporary uh, phase, right? You, you become a deacon for six months to a year. It's a temporary phase. Um, that is a stepping stone to the priesthood. And so what they, what they call a transitional de, uh, deacon or the transitional diaconate. And then in addition to that, I got my children yelling in the background. In addition to that, a priest ha- or a man, a deacon at this point, has to make a retreat. I think it's a week-long retreat uh, before priestly ordination. So a lot of preparation goes into that as well. And I think that covers, let's see, six sacraments. Um, And then also, finally, the anointing of the sick. Now, it seems to me that really the only requirement would be that you are sick, (laughs) right? How much preparation can you go through uh, in order to receive the sacrament of uh, the the sacrament of the sick, right? The anointing of the sick. However, the church does ask that you have the proper disposition to receive the sacrament. So there is some aspect, at least, some aspect of preparation there as well. And then, of course, you know, for the sacraments that we receive on a regular basis, namely uh, reconciliation and the Eucharist, there's a sort of an ongoing preparation. Right? We should be prepared to receive the sacrament of reconciliation, which means we take time to reflect and to examine our consciences before receiving the sacrament and to be heartily sorry in order to receive the sacrament worthily. We're encouraged to be prepared also for the Eucharist, to be recollected and to be in good standing, really, with with the Lord, to be of the proper disposition to receive the sacrament. So there's an ongoing preparation there as well. Now, my daughter, my oldest daughter, I've already mentioned this before, I believe, in the, in the intro, made her first communion just this week, this past Saturday. And so I thought it'd be great to have her come on the show and to share with us a little bit of what she went through in her preparation for the sacrament of the Eucharist. So let's see what she has to say. Okay, Annabelle, well, we had a special day, didn't we, just the other day? It was Saturday? 
What happened Saturday? I made my first communion. You did? Mm-hmm. And what was it like? Um... You don't know? Mm-mm. It was good? Mm-hmm. You had a great day? Mm-hmm. Well, cool. And what church were we in? St. Peter's. St. Peter's, that's right. And you... What did you have to do in order to make your first communion? Practice. You practice. 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 <laughs> <laughs> How many times did you practice? A lot. A lot. And did you go to class? Yes. You had to go to class? Mm-hmm. For how long? An hour. Well, yeah, an hour every time you went. But how how long did you have to go to class? To practice? Now, just to class, like, when did you start your classes? Uh, I don't know. What month? You don't remember? I don't know. The beginning of the school year? Mm-hmm. Like in August? I think so. So you went to school from, to class from, from August until May, right? When you finally made your first communion? And that whole year, this whole year, did they talk about your first communion to you? Yes. So y'all were learning all about it the whole time? Mm-hmm. What were some of the things you learned? Um, uh, <laughs> Are you shy? Yes. <laughs> a little mm-hmm. bit? Well, what were some of the things you learned? I know you learned uh, a lot. A lot? I know you learned <laughs> a lot. Y'all had a, a book and everything. Had lots of good stuff in that book. And you did activities and all of that, huh? Mm-hmm. So what kind of things did they teach you about communion and the Eucharist? Uh, transubstantiation. Wow, that's a big word. That's great. Transubstantiation. It's hard to spell. Yeah, it is hard to spell. You're right. What does it mean? It looks like, smells like, tastes like. It feels like bread, but it's not red, and it looks like, feels like, tastes like, and looks like wine, um, mm-hmm. wine, but it's blood. Wow, so it's, it, the, the bread and the wine actually change into the body and mm-hmm. blood and soul and divinity of Jesus, even though it still looks like bread and wine? Yeah. That's transubstantiation, that's awesome. They taught you some big stuff mm-hmm. in class. You know another big word I don't remember? There was another big word? Mm-hmm. What did it mean or what did it have to do with? Do you remember that? I don't remember. You don't remember? It was just another big word. They tell you stories from the Bible about communion? What what kind of story? Do you um, remember? Um, I don't remember. The Last Supper? <laughs> yeah, Last Supper. Um... The multiplication of the loaves. Did they tell you that one? No. John chapter 6, when Jesus says he's the bread of life. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I think they probably did. That's a standard text from Scripture, so I'm sure they talked about that. Anything else? When you when you actually got to close to making your first communion, y'all, y'all did practices in mm-hmm. church, didn't you? And they showed you how to make... Um, receive it in your hand and on your tongue. Okay. And did they? Did you get to practice with 
hosts that weren't consecrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y'all got to taste it beforehand. And real wine that they used that that um, wasn't consecrated. That wasn't consecrated. Wow. Well, you had a lot of preparation then for First Communion, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it t- the wine tastes like strong apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> strong apple juice. Wow. Well, good. And you had a good day, huh? Mm-hmm. And then you made your second communion yesterday. yesterday. And you got to wear your pretty dress again? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. And I didn't go today. We're going tomorrow to the Abbey. We didn't didn't go today, but you're going tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, good. And, and we're going to have a picnic, and we're going to feed the geese. Oh, really? At the Abbey? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. I wish I could go, but I'll be at work. Mm-hmm. So, we're well, good. Anything else you want to tell me about? Today? Um, I don't know. You don't know? Okay. Well, thank you for talking to me about your first communion. I love you. Love you too. <laughs> I need two salmon, three salad composite, and a free fillet. I need two others, seared salmon. Free fillet, working. I need plates. Hello, Chef Skina. How are you, Naibi? Hey, boss. Look who is here. Okay, I'm in the kitchen, and I have so much to do I can't see straight, but I wanted to uh, tell you a couple of stories, and uh, if, I, if I waited until I could sit down in front of the computer to tell you the stories, it, it would be forever. So uh, I figured I'd bring you along with me and uh, tell you a couple of my um, culinary catastrophes. Actually, I think tonight I'm going to tell you just one, um, and by the way, I'm, I'm trying to prepare and and in the kitchen of course which is so important isn't it trying to prepare in the kitchen and also to uh, you know get ready to cook dinner so that's what you hear in the background is me running around um, about three weeks ago my my children they they have they you know they go to uh, PSR we call it or the parish parish school of religion and what you know, it's like CCD, right? We call it Parish School of Religion. And uh, about three weeks ago, they had the last class of the year. Uh, and for the last class, they, they did meet as a class, you know, the different classes. Uh, but then they had a final mass, a closing mass for the year. And that mass was um, for families. You know? So the parents could come and meet uh, their, their children and, and go to the mass. So... That day, uh, I had checked my Google Reader, as I do every day, and uh, in the Google Reader, I came across a recipe from my friend Lorraine over at uh, Copywriter's Kitchen, and it was a recipe for teriyaki chicken, and it looked awesome. It it looked so good, matter of fact, that my mouth was watering. It's like, I've got to make this, not just sometime soon, but I've got to make it today. Uh, it was just so good looking. So anyway, uh, I, I had to run to the store on the way home, 
pick up a few essentials, just things that I didn't have. And uh, I came home, my plan was to go ahead and get this stuff going. And, and what I figured is since we had this closing mass, right, we weren't going to be home for probably uh, two hours or so in the evening. I said, well, you know, I, I can do the, the, the recipe, the teriyaki chicken, but instead of putting the chicken on the grill, instead of doing this, that, and the other, I can just throw it in a crock pot with everything else. It'll be great, right? You know me, I can't seem to follow a recipe to the T to save my life. Uh, so that's what I did. I put it in a crock pot. Well, needless to say, uh, everything takes longer than you think it's going to take, uh, especially especially for me. Char uh, always... Uh, reminds me of the fact that I am so slow in, in the kitchen. I, I tell her it's because I want to enjoy myself and I, I really like to cook. But um, anyway, I am, I am very slow, which is another reason why I don't think that I could ever be a chef in a uh, restaurant. I'm too slow. So anyway, um, it took me longer to put everything in the crock pot than I anticipated, but I got it all in. And then we rushed off, rushed out the door, to the, uh, the closing mass. Well, we get there. It's in the middle of mass, and I started to completely just panic. I thought, great, it's not going to be ready. I started calculating the time, and I thought, it, this, this is not going to be ready by the time we get home. I figured we'd be home around 8, and it's, like, it's just not going to be ready. Um, so I was in a complete panic. At mass, I can't concentrate on on what's going on because I'm I'm freaking out about the dinner. Now, why is that? Why am I freaking out so much? Because I, I get in trouble. As I mentioned, I'm slow in the kitchen. I get in trouble quite a bit uh, from Char because or with Char because um, we eat late. I'm slow in the kitchen, which means we eat dinner late, which means everybody goes to bed late, which means everything is late. And when Char and I were uh, dating, we were, we were younger, even when we were uh, newly married, uh, before kids, right? actually even after kids, but just when we were younger, that wasn't a big deal. We were up every night late. You know, we, we would eat late, and um, it was no issue, right? But now with the little kids, you know, seven, eight, nine, um, eating late does have an impact on the schedule for the next day. So, uh, we, yeah, I, I get in trouble a lot because of, uh, you know, late nights. So, I was like, golly, you know, I, I, I'm freaking out at mass because this is not going to be ready. What am I going to do? And I thought, oh, I know. When I get home, I'll transfer everything from the crock pot and put it in one of my all-clad pots, throw it on the stove, rev up the heat, Tell the kids they got to go take their baths, and by the time they're done with their baths, it'll be ready. Great plan. Matter of fact, at the time, I thought it was divine inspiration. So I, that's what I did. I, um, I came home, told the kids to go take their baths. I, I, I took the, uh, the crock pot, and I set it in the, not the crock pot, I'm sorry. I took the all-clad pot, and I set it in the sink, thinking when I go to transfer everything, it'll give me a little leverage. Right with a crock pot, I could, I'll, I'll be pouring down, and if I spill anything, it's in the sink. Who cares? So I put the all-clad pot in the sink. I take the, uh, some pot holders. I grab the uh, the crock pot. And I just just the inside part, right? Just the crockery itself, 
and which is hot. I mean, it's been on for hours. You know, it's, it's hot. And and I go to transfer to pour the contents out into the all-clad pot. Everything went well. It was wonderful. It worked without a without without a hitch, right? Until at one point in pouring the stuff out, my wrist was at an awkward angle. So I thought, let me readjust my uh, my grip on the crock pot. So I set the crock pot down on the edge of the sink, which was a big mistake. You never put hot crockery on a cool surface. As soon as I set that thing down, it just shattered into, I say shattered, it didn't shatter, it just broke into several pieces, just cracked into several pieces. And the, the rest of the contents that were you know, in, the, in the crock pot, that was gone. I thought, oh, great. You know, great. So I, here, here I am, so excited about bringing the crock pot out. It was the second meal I'd cooked in the crock pot, you know, in, in, in recent memory. And I was excited about using it, the, you know, in the month of May as school comes to an end and I'm busy and I could just throw something in there in the, in the you know, at night or in the morning and let it cook all day. And, and well, not anymore, right? Crock pot's gone. So I, I was upset about that. And then I looked carefully at the sink. We've got a double sink, right? So you got left and right uh, uh, basins. And the basin on the left is the one that looked like it had most of the, the pieces of the crock pot, if not all the pieces of the crock pot, was in that side, on that side. The, the, the all-clad pot was on the right. So it looked to me, and I kind of took a spoon and, and looked around in the, uh, in the all-clad pot to see if there was any... any uh, uh, crockery in there and it didn't look like there was and I didn't see any really in the basin of the um, the right hand basin of the sink so I'm like oh goodness thank God okay thank you Lord there's no crock pot in this in this all clad pot let me go ahead and put it on the stove and we'll keep going so I wrapped it up kids took their baths and you know when they were done it was done really so I had made rice, and we sat down to have the uh, chicken teriyaki with rice. Everything was fine. I was still a little miffed about my crock pot, but everything else was all right. Everything was going according to plan. Sit down, and about my tenth bite, I smacked down on a piece of crock pot. And I was so upset. I couldn't believe it. So I started digging around in my plate, and sure enough, I found a couple of more shards or crumbs, I don't know what you want to call it, of crock pot. And then I got up and went to the big pot on the stove and I took another, I took the spoon and I kind of dug around in there again, which I already done, right? I already did that. Did it again. Sure enough, I found more crock pot. So apparently we were eating crock pot um, and not just cooking in it. So I was, I was very upset. Uh, but besides the crock pot catastrophe, I mean, the, the chicken teriyaki itself was, was great. It was delicious. It's a wonderful recipe. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to this recipe. It was fantastic. Uh, I, 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 I talked to Lorraine afterwards, and I said, Look, next time, I'm going to follow your recipe to the T. I'm going to do the grill thing. I will be grilling the chicken. I'm not going to throw it in a crock pot. Matter of fact, I won't be doing anything in the crock pot for the near future. So let this be a lesson. You have to be prepared. You really need to take time in the kitchen. 
Uh, Char thinks I take too much time in the kitchen, but you got to take time in the kitchen. Otherwise, you could have a catastrophe. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Sorry, this is the fun V. The humdrum V is back there. Well, I hope you enjoyed my crockpot catastrophe story. Uh, you know, but I, I didn't mention what I had prepared uh, the, the previous time in the crockpot. Uh, I did mention that I pulled it out uh, from the pantry uh, a, a week or so before uh, using it for my, my catastrophe. Uh, and, and what I had prepared was a, a roast. And, you know, it's, it's a classic crockpot uh, dish. But what I decided to do, I actually had, uh, I, I wanted to cook with beer. And so I used two pints of Murphy's Stout, uh, Murphy's Irish Stout, in the, uh, in the crock pot. So I had two pints of that, plus the roast, plus um, uh, good, you know, garlic and, and potatoes and carrots and onions. And uh, some, I had seared the uh, or browned, I guess you'd say the uh, the roast before I stick it in the crock pot. So I had seasoned that with salt and pepper and a little um, uh, Tony Sacheries, which we you know have down here in Louisiana. It's a it's a seasoning mix, a Cajun uh, seasoning mix, and um, so that's all that went into the crock pot. Really, that, that's it. I don't think I added any water. As a matter of fact, it was just the beer. And anyway, I, I let it cook for a long time. I didn't do all of this, you know, get it all set up until, I don't know, probably like 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, somewhere around there. And so I let it cook overnight on low, and uh, then I turned it off in the morning. And as we got closer to dinner time that evening, I turned it back on. And so it, it, uh, it cooked for another couple of hours, two, three hours or so, uh, before we finally uh, ate it. And it was good. Uh, the roast was very tender. And the beer just added, I don't know, it just added a really good flavor uh, to it. So you may want to try that one day. If you have a crock pot that is not shattered like mine, uh, you may want to throw a roast in there and a couple of pints of Murphy's Irish Stout. Uh, you, you may not be uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, we have uh, the Catholic Foodie has a page on Facebook. And I would highly encourage you to become a, uh, a, a fan. They call them fans, right? A fan of the Catholic Foodie page on Facebook. Uh, th there's a lot of uh, lively discussion that goes on there about recipes. And I, I did post there the uh, Crock-Pot incident and got, got a lot of feedback uh, uh, on that. As a matter of fact, I got a lot of chuckling, I believe, on that post. I also have uh, listeners who share recipes. Uh, or ideas for uh, for meals, uh, so really good stuff over there on the Facebook page. So please check that out. You can just uh, search on Facebook for the Catholic Foodie, and uh, it's it's one of the what they call pages. It's a fan page or pages. 
Uh, it's not the group page. There is a Catholic Foodie group, but it seems like um, Facebook has has tended to to uh, or, or it it is migrating from groups to pages. So Catholic Foodie fan page on Facebook. It's fun. Uh, also, if you want a quick link to it, if you go to catholicfoodie.com, the blog, uh, there is a link there on the right-hand uh, margin of the uh, of the page. Just scroll down just a little bit, and you'll see a, a cartoon image of yours truly. And uh, you just click on that, and it takes you right to the Facebook uh, page if you're logged into Facebook. If not, you have to log in first. Anyway, lots of good stuff, and I also I did receive a, a recipe via email. Uh, I had asked for crockpot recipes, and this one is from Steve Nelson, and he shares his recipe basically for a roast, a crockpot roast. And uh, this is kind of what goes into his uh, into his roast. He he usually uh, has a four to five pound beef roast, uh, and you know he does mention that any cut will do. Uh, three white onions, uh, cut cut into large chunks. Uh, three large carrots. Uh, several new potatoes, which is a great idea. I didn't use new potatoes. I just uh, I chopped up some. I chopped. I sliced russets and uh, made them into small, I guess, cubes basically, and uh, and used those. But I like that new potatoes, cut into one inch pieces, unpeeled, which is good. I like that too. Unpeeled. Uh, two celery stalks, which I did not use, but that's a good idea. Uh, cut into one-inch pieces and a cup of beef or vegetable stock. And uh, I didn't use that. I used beer, but that is also a very good thing to do. Uh, salt, pepper, and two bay leaves. So, you know, it's pretty simple. It all goes into the pot. Uh, one thing that he says he does is kind of, uh, uh, what does he call it? It's, it's optional. Uh, he coats the roast in flour, and he browns it on all sides in a skillet uh, with a couple of uh, tablespoons of canola oil. See, I, I like that. I brown it, uh, but I don't, use, uh, I don't use flour. I just do the, uh, uh, the seasonings that I spoke about earlier. So uh, good idea, once again, to flour it. That's, a, that's great. I bet that's delicious. And it says, he basically says it does. It enhances the beefy taste and uh, it will darken the juices, which is great. I mean, we use flour in a roux, right? If you make a roux for a gumbo or um, uh, like a, a shrimp creole or something, then, then uh, you use flour and oil. So and it does. It kind of thickens up the, uh, the juice, and it also can, can darken it. So I imagine it does the same thing in a crock pot. And that's it. He just uh, he lets it cook uh, for about on low for about eight to nine hours, and you're done. During this year of St. Paul, Catholics around the globe have been harnessing the power of new media and social networking sites such as Facebook and Twitter to reach out and evangelize to a worldwide audience. Would you like to learn more about Catholic new media, discover how parishes are reaching out to their flock in new and exciting ways? Attend this year's Catholic New Media Celebration being held in San Antonio, Texas on Saturday, June 27th 
Hear from keynote speakers, noted author Patrick Madrid, and Father Dave Dwyer of Sirius XM Radio's Busted Halo Show. Enjoy a concert by Catholic musical artist Sarah Bauer. Network with Catholic new media professionals and consumers at this day-long celebration. Learn more about podcasting, blogging, streaming video, and more. Hosted by the StarQuest Production Network, leaders in Catholic new media. This year's Catholic new media celebration promises to be bigger and better than ever. For details and registration, visit celebration.sqpn.com. So, Steve, thank you so much for sharing that recipe. And uh, if you have a recipe that you would uh, like to share with the uh, listeners here, the Catholic Foodie, or also on the blog, you can always uh, make comments there on the blog at catholicfoodie.com. Uh, please send it in. And there's two ways, once again, two ways that you can do this. First of all, you can call the listener feedback line, which, hint, hint, I really love voice feedback. It's awesome. And uh, something I get to play on the show, and I think it adds a lot of uh, variety and a uh, little seasoning, a little spice to, uh, to the show. So please think about calling in with your comments or recipes. Uh, the number is 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. And also you can uh, email at, uh, send an email to catholicfoodie at gmail.com. Uh, once again, all this information is on the website, catholicfoodie.com. And, uh, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff I put on the blog that I just don't have time to mention here in the show. So you may want to check that out as well. Uh, lots more stories. I, I usually post two, three uh, stories a, uh, a week. So there's a lot of stuff there, too. You may want to check that out, catholicfoodie.com. Ha-ha, you fool! You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> well, it looks like I have performed one of the classic blunders, or at least my classic blunder, uh, blunders. Uh, back in the uh, very the intro of the show, I mentioned that I was going to share with you my review of uh, the Mac app Sous Chef, which I love. It's a fantastic app. Uh, but once again, we're here. <laughs> the show is is at its end. I don't want it to go too long. So what I'm going to do is uh, hold that once again, and I might just publish that as a uh, a special uh, a special episode, just a short. 10-minute special episode on sous chef. So, uh, I apologize for not getting to that today, but uh, I hope that you've enjoyed the show. I've enjoyed being here with you. Once again, voice feedback, 985-635-4974. And you can leave an email for the Catholic Foodie at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. And until next time, bon appetit.